anyone here made a New Year's resolution? Has anyone actually made a New Year's resolution? Or do you think they're completely out of fashion by now? Who's made one and is willing to admit it? I'm not going to ask you to reveal what it was, but has anyone, anyone at all made a New Year's resolution this year? One, two, there, okay, there, there are very, very few. What do you think? What do you think the most common New Year's resolution is? Do you know what it is? Lose weight, apparently. That was the number one, according to the, the Journal of Clinical Psychology last year. Lose weight. And actually, having just come out of an extremely well-fed Christmas and New Year, I can quite understand why that happens. It's not really that much of a surprise. Actually, 38% of all New Year's resolutions um, are, are weight-related. But really, who cares about New Year's resolutions? Because aren't they just a big waste of time? I mean, how many do you think give up after the very first week? How many New Year's resolutions are done in the very first week of the new year. It's a quarter, a quarter of all years, New Year's resolutions are dumped after just one week. Bunch of slackers, it's terrible. But here's a more interesting question, okay? How many New Year's resolutions do you think are actually accomplished? Now, since we're a congregational church, I thought it would actually be reasonable for us to take a church vote on this, okay? So I want you to get a number in your head. How many percent of New Year's resolutions are actually accomplished, okay? Get a number in your head you're willing to vote for, and then I'm going to ask you to show hands. Okay, so who thinks over 25% of New Year's resolutions gets done? Over 25%? Anyone willing to be that optimistic? This is Edinburgh. It's not, you, nobody's that optimistic. What about who thinks, who thinks 15% get done? No, not even anyone. Yeah, some votes for 15%. Who thinks, who thinks maybe 10%? 10%? Well, that's surprisingly optimistic. I'm very impressed. Who's willing to pump for 5 Who thinks 5%? That's more like it. 5%. And what about, what about now in the kind of 3% range? 2 or 3%? Yeah, yeah. And who is a complete cynic? Who's, who's down for zero? Nothing happens. Yes, yes. There are some cynics around. Fancy that. Well, do you know what the actual number is? Do you know how many people actually make it through? 8%. 8%. That's surprisingly good, isn't it? 8% of New Year's resolutions are ultimately accomplished. See how cynical we are here in Edinburgh. It's not an utterly futile process. I mean, consider the converse, okay? How many people do you think, without a resolution, just randomly start losing weight? Do you think that happens without a resolution? No, it just doesn't seem to be happening. I mean, 8% is a lot better than zero. And there, there's solid research showing that people who make a resolution are actually somewhat more likely to go on to, to accomplish it than those who, who don't and have the same sort of issues. There's something simply in the act of making a resolution. But let's go even further. Do you know what's better than making a resolution and actually seeing change? Making a plan. Making a plan is much better than just a resolution. If, if you want to achieve something, then thinking a little bit about how you could do it. About how is that actually going to happen? I mean, what, what steps are you going to take? And what, what's the very first step? That one's a really important one. What's the very first thing you're going to do to see it changed? I mean, imagine this. Just say, hypothetically, okay, the government... The government resolves to eliminate the budget deficit. Only going to spend money we've got from now on. They say they announce their key manifesto pledge. Number one, if we are elected, we will resolve to eliminate the deficit. What do you think? Is it going to happen with just a resolution? Is it going to happen with just a resolution? No. Perhaps they should actually have a plan for how they're going to do it, right? A plan. It, it's still pretty unlikely. But with a plan, it is more likely to happen. So, 
concrete, practical steps, actions we can, we can do ourselves. These are, these are keys to seeing something we might want to see happen actually come to pass. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, I have some questions for you this morning. I want to know, what is this year going to be about for you? What is 2015 going to be about? What if it, if it goes really well? If 2015 is an incredibly successful year for you, if everything goes to plan, what will happen in 2015? How will it look? What are you shooting for this year? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be by the end of it? Now, I wonder how many of us have no particular plans for this year. There's nothing in particular that we'd really like to see accomplished or, or, or change. We're just thinking, well, here we go again, another year. Start again. You know, it's like going through that sort of groundhog day. It's just another year. It's just going to look the same. So often, life can just feel like we are, we're out of control. We're victims of circumstance. We're, we're washed up on the beach of chance by these overpowering waves. But sometimes we can, we can let ourselves off the hook a little bit too easy with this. Now, I want to suggest a goal for us this morning. A goal and, uh, and maybe even some plan to, to go with it. Maybe some of you are thinking this is sounding very, very worldly. This is sounding more like a self-help book than, uh, than Sunday morning. Maybe some of you are wondering if we should even be talking like this in church. It sounds like what we should do now is we should turn to God's word. Let's see what God has to say. We're going to read from the Bible, which is the book that, as a church, we believe is God's words, not just to his ancient peoples, but to us as well. God's speaking to us. We're going to look at some of 1 Corinthians. It's a letter Paul, one of Jesus' first followers, wrote to a church he started. And before we read, let me just give you a tiny bit of context about where we're going to read from. Paul's been talking about balancing this amazing freedom that Christians have, where Jesus comes and takes all of our wrong from us, puts us right with God. We have this amazing freedom, and Paul talks about how to balance that with the need to avoid offending others. He talks about how he himself laid down his rights, and that's where we're going to pick up. He's laid down his rights so that more people might hear about Jesus. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, page 1150. Again, if you want to read along, page 1150 in the Red Bibles. Let me just pray before we read. Father God, thank you that we do believe that this is your word to us. Make it living and active today. Let it speak and transform hearts. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 17. No, let's start at verse 19, excuse me. Starting at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. 
I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is God's word to his people. The first thing I want to establish from what we've just read is that Paul isn't just describing how he conducts himself in his life for our interest. He's not telling us about how he lives just so that we can be impressed and say, well done, Paul, and give him a pack on the back. Paul tells us about how he lived to put himself forward as an example for us to show us how we should live. Let me, let me show you that in the text. You see, the, the only command in this whole chapter is in verse 24. Run. Run, Paul commands the Corinthians. And he's talking to us too. Run, he says. And then in verse 25, he draws himself into the picture with us. He says, we run for a crown that will last forever. And then in verse 26, he switches back to himself again. He says, I don't run aimlessly. Now, we'll we'll come back to that picture of the races later, but I just wanted us all on the same page. You see, Paul is not just telling us interesting stories about himself. He is telling us how he lives as an example for us. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us at all. The idea of Paul as an example is all over the place. If you were to flip back just a few pages, you'd find in in chapter 4, verse 16, I urge you, Paul says, to imitate me. He's not embarrassed about seeing himself as a role model. For other people to copy. He puts himself forward that way again and again. He's upfront about it. So the first thing we need to have in our heads as we're reading is that Paul presents himself as an example to imitate. But what is it that we're to be imitating then? What has this got to do with New Year's resolutions? Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Hang on. But rewind to the beginning of the section. What is Paul saying he's an example of? Well, in verse 19, he says, I'm free. That's a point he's been making through this previous section, that he's free. He doesn't need to do anything more to please God. He's got no boxes to tick. He's got nothing more he needs because Jesus has done it all. But then he does something shocking with his freedom. It was shocking then, and it should be shocking to us now. He makes himself a slave. He makes himself a slave. Does he mean literally he becomes their slave and he goes and gathers up their water for them and that sort of thing? Not not quite. He doesn't mean he'll set about doing whatever it is those other people command, whatever they mean done. He means he's letting go of his freedom in order to make himself of service to others, to constrain himself, to, to, to work for their good. Now, why do that? Why give up freedom in order to serve others? Well, he tells us. He tells us the goal right here. What is it Paul would have had down as his New Year's resolution? What was it that Paul is trying to accomplish? What's at the top of his list? It's it's here in verse 19. He wants to win as many as possible. That's what he says, to to win as many as possible. Now, 
if you're an underlining sort of person, that might be something you want to unline. This is, this is Paul's New Year's resolution. This is, this is his number one goal. It's top of his list. What do you want to accomplish, Paul? I want to win. I want to win as many as possible. Paul is in the, the numbers game, and that, that sometimes feels a little bit icky. It feels kind of unspiritual to talk about numbers, doesn't it? But, but that's what Paul says. That's what he's focused on. More is better as far as he's concerned. In fact, that, that concession to possibility to win as many as possible, that, that's, not, that's not even there in the underlying Greek. If you translate it literally, it just says, in order that I might win more. He just wants more. Like I said earlier, Paul isn't telling us this so that we pack him on the back and say, well, well done. That's very impressive, Paul. Good job. He's telling us this to present himself as an example for us to emulate. He wants this to be our goal too. He wants us to be seeking to win more. So as a church, we've talked quite a lot about having seen, we think, six people become Christians last year and wanting to see more in this new year. When we talk like that, when we think like that, we are talking and thinking like Paul. To seek to win more. Well, well, yes, Paul, that's all very well. But, but how? But how? Just a good intention isn't going to make any difference. Well, how does Paul go on? He tells us in verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, notice he says he became like a Jew. He didn't become a Jew because, well, because he was one already. Um, Paul was a Jew ethnically. So what does he mean when he says he became like his own people? He, he spells it out for us. He says, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So as a Christian, he wasn't under that, that Jewish law code with all its regulations and commands and demands, with all the, the do's and don'ts. He didn't have to tick those boxes. So what's he telling us about how he sought to win more? He didn't have to tick the boxes, but he was willing to. He was willing to for the sake of reaching them. He was willing to give up some of his freedom that he has in Christ to enter more into their world, to come closer to them, and so to more easily reach them. He was willing to make sacrifices in order to reach others. He's going to put himself out for this. And he gives us another example for the non-Jews, those not having the law. He's willing to put himself into their shoes as well, to approach them, to give up some of his freedom to be more like them, and so to more easily reach them. He's willing to give up his freedom. He broadens it out into a generality. Look at the, the back half of verse 22. He says, I've become all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. All things all people, all possible means. You get a sense of Paul's passion here? Can you imagine him waving his hands and shouting? Do you think he was that sort of guy? He's throwing himself at his goal of winning more. He looked like a bit of a nutcase, perhaps. Can you see the, the lengths he's willing to go to? How open he is to trying different things to reach more people how he considers his options. He says, all possible means. Now, tiny rider for you here, in case anyone is going to go out and get carried away, there's some small print. Doesn't mean absolutely anything goes. Uh, time to go out and get wasted with your mates, to reach your mates who get wasted. No, no. You see, this is in the wider letter, and you can see it right here in the middle too. Do you notice what he said 
about how he pursues those not having the law. In the middle of verse 21, he has these little brackets. He says, oh, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. See, he still, he has limits. He has limits. There are places he can't go. There are things he can't do in pursuit of his people. But what we mustn't do is over-inflate that so that we miss the main thrust. He's going after this with everything he's got. He's pursuing them as fast and as hard as he can. He's taking as much freedom and ready to give it up for them. And when we think about, think about the way in which Paul goes to these different groups of people. This idea of seeking to win more by becoming more a part of their worlds rather than needing them to, to come into our world first. We should be picking up how this mirrors the wider picture of Christmas. How this mirrors Christmas. You see, Paul becomes like them. He makes himself a slave. It's shocking and dramatic. But then imagine this. Imagine the God of the whole universe makes himself a helpless baby to come closer to his people. Imagine that. That's the big message of Christmas. And that's the, 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 the key of this season we've just been through, isn't it? The, the incarnation, the infleshing of God. God becoming like us. God's approach to his rescue mission, to seeking to save his people, is to become like us and to go after us. To come to us, to give up his ultimate freedom and be born as a helpless baby. And that inspires Paul's approach to give up his freedom to pursue. Okay, and that's pretty high talk. That's interesting. But let's face it, it's also pretty abstract, isn't it? I mean, what about us? What does this have to do with you and me? What if we were listening to Paul and uh, we wanted to share his goal? How, how would that look today? What would that look like today? Where would we be going to? Who would we be coming like? What sort of freedoms perhaps could we be thinking about giving up to reach more? Well, where I wonder do we most strongly feel our freedom? What do you think would pain us the most to give up? What, what aspects of our freedom are the most precious to us? Perhaps one freedom we have that we might need to consider giving up for the sake of the gospel could be, could be time. Perhaps God is challenging you about how your calendar reflects the use of the freedom he's given to you. Perhaps, perhaps like me, filling my calendar feels like death to me. Filling my calendar and putting things in and constraining myself and removing my freedom is a, it's a scary thing, but, but perhaps, that's, perhaps that's a freedom we're being asked to give up. To pursue the gospel. To make time to go and be with and be like those we would like to know Jesus. Or, or maybe it's money. Maybe for some of us, we feel our money almost is our freedom. That money can buy us freedom. It gives us flexibility. And maybe God is asking us to consider giving up some of that financial freedom for the sake of mission, giving to reach others so the gospel might come to them. Or maybe, maybe it's independence. Maybe we express our freedom by, by being able to manage by ourselves, by being quite sufficient. But maybe by being so independent, so sufficient, by not needing to rely on others, we're actually closing doors 
through which we could reach out. Setting ourselves apart from other people rather than becoming more like them. Maybe, rather than always looking to help others, we could admit our weakness and our insufficiency and let, let others help us. Now, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, this might sound pretty weird. Uh, perhaps even somewhat creepy today really it would be slightly ironic given where we started if you had a resolution that was to come to church this year or something then here you are you're surrounded by all these Christians who want to win you hearing how someone they hold up as an example this Paul guy he talks about infiltration as one of his key techniques that could sound pretty creepy actually couldn't it not sure you want to be a part of this well suspend judgment for a moment because take a look with me at how the words Paul uses changes through the passage See, verse 19, where we started out, he talks about winning as many as possible. He wants to win as many as possible. But by the time we get to verse 22, notice what the language he is using. In verse 22, he says he wants to save some. To save or to rescue or to deliver. Now, Paul isn't just trying to stay in the boardroom in some sort of heavenly apprentice to achieve a high enough point score to stay on the team. That's not the sort of winning he's about. His desire and our desire too, when we reach out to others with the gospel, our desire is to see, to see them saved, rescued, delivered. You see, if you're not a Christian here today, we're in this for you. We're, we're trying. We're trying for your good. That's what he says in the very next verse. In verse 23, he says, he does all of this for the sake of the gospel. But what what is this gospel? Why does anyone need saving? I mean, what what exactly is there that we need rescuing from? Well, the Bible tells us that humans broke our relationship with God. We, We rebelled against him. We said, talk to the hand. I don't want you in charge of me. And that that isn't something we get away with forever. There's a day coming when God's going to have to to deal with this rebellion and the mess we made of his world with it. And it isn't going to be pretty. And that, that is what we need saving from. And God made a way. He put in motion a rescue plan. He, he, He sent Jesus who became human like us. And Jesus made a way for us to be back in right relationship with God. That's the good news. That's, that's this gospel that we're sharing now, if anyone wants to talk more about this, um, I would love to talk more. Uh, you could fill out one of those cards we waved around earlier, or you could find me on the door afterwards, and uh, we'd love to be in touch. Are we, are we done yet? No, we're not quite done yet. Not quite. Back to the Christians first. I want to say a little bit more. I just want to touch briefly on these, these next verses where Paul gets all metaphorical and sporty on us. So start with verse 24. Do you not know, he says, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This, uh, this metaphor, this word picture, would have made great sense to the Corinthians because they live right next door to the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were second only to the Olympic Games. Every two years it would have looked a whole lot like maybe the Commonwealth Games does. People from all over the world coming together to, to compete and... Uh, a massively important competition. And running was one of the key elements then like it is now. And what's not to like about watching guys wiggle their legs for 10 seconds? It's pretty exciting in a funny kind of ways. But mention of the games would have brought those pictures to people's mind. And, and maybe you can see Usain Bolt again. Maybe you can see him just trouncing the competition and leaving them behind. 
That's where we find the one imperative. The, the one command in this section is to run. Paul puts us in the picture. So, so you need to put yourself in the picture for a minute. You could be next to Bolt if you like, but not if you want a chance of winning. So put somebody else there, okay? But imagine there's a track in front of you, okay? There are competitors by your side. And then Paul's over there in the, in the Colosseum somewhere, and he is, he's shouting at you. He's shouting at you, run! There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. But what does this picture mean? Um, what does Paul want us to do when he shouts, run? Uh, it, it communicates urgency, Right? It communicates energy. It communicates exertion. But the picture of a race is used several times in the Bible to talk about the Christian life, right? Uh, The letter to the Hebrews talks about run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, talking about the Christian life. Is that what's in view here? Is Paul just saying, listen, be a good Christian? Is that what he's saying? Be a good Christian. Is the prize we're pursuing heaven? Has Paul kind of changed tack a bit? He was talking about reaching people, talking about becoming like people to reach them. Now he's talking about just living a Christian life. I, I don't think so because look at how he points out here. Unlike the other places you find the race metaphor, here he says only one wins the prize. Only one gets the prize. Well, how could that be a picture of the Christian life? Is this a sort of a playoff where only one gets into heaven? That's, that's not... Are we in some sort of elimination round? Of course not. So, so what is the prize here? What are we running for here? Well, remember where we've come from. Okay, what's Paul focused on? What's the goal in view? The goal in view is to win. To win as many as possible. So what's the prize? To win people. Can, can we take that idea of reaching out to others and put it into this picture of a race? A competition makes sense then with just one winner? I I think it does, actually. You see, there is a competition going on for every single soul in this city. There are others pursuing every person in this city. Other ideologies competing for, for the allegiance of everyone in this city. There are others with your unsaved friends in their sights. Others hoping to win them other stories about how we got here and where things are going we're just hairless apes the, the, the product of billions of accidents we have no bigger purpose or, or meaning than a slug and uh, let's just make the most of it before we die that is the story that we're running against when we talk about God's plan to save that's, that's one of the competitors next to us on this track or, or somebody on the other side is saying oh nobody really knows that's why there's so many options. That's why there's uh, so many ideas out there. It's just, just arrogance to suggest that anyone could actually know the right answer. The best we can do is just, just not try to hurt anyone and, and try to be happy. That's, that's another runner we're up against. And there, there are more. There are lots of runners in this race. And only one is going to take the prize. At the end of the day, everyone in this city is going to give their allegiance, their assent to a worldview, a view of how everything holds together. That's the picture Paul has in mind when he tells us to run. He tells us to run. There's everything at stake. And that's, that's exactly what he goes on to say. Look at verse 25. He says, um, everyone who competes in the games goes into training. They do it to get a crown. 
that will not last. Do you know what they used to win? They used to win apparently a crown of withered celery. It's not very attractive, is it? A crown of withered celery for winning at the Isthmian Games. Or, or nowadays we win like a, a, a gold circle, which I think you're probably not even allowed to melt down and sell. But um, why are we running this race? A different kind of prize, right? A prize that lasts forever. That is how much is at stake here. If we win, we win a soul for eternity. If we win, we win another soul into forever life. If we win, we win another soul back into relationship with God. A relationship that lasts forever. A relationship that finally satisfies. A relationship that will ultimately be everything good. Everything that this life promises but just somehow doesn't deliver. That's why Paul shouts, run. Because when we seek to win more, we seek to see more saved. We're pursuing something of incredible value to make us run with all our might and keep on running. So, so what implications does Paul draw from this picture? What does he say? Well, verse 25 tells us what we know to be true. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Everyone. And back then, just like it is now, back then, um, it was about all sorts of things, diet and fitness. Even the curling team, they throw days at their sport to perfect that little twist or the magic brushing. Or um, here's, what, here's what Peter Kirkbride his schedule looks like. He was one of Scotland's weightlifters last summer. He says, he says he trained Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday off. He said, I'm a busy man, he said. Or what about Hannah Miley? Hannah Miley swam for Scotland. She said she was training 36 to 42 hours a week. Preparation is a huge priority. A huge priority. Scared yet? I think Paul makes a fair point, though. People go to these extreme lengths to win a gold circle, to win a a withered celery crown. We're talking about something much more important. And yet, how do we compare? How, How does the way I spend my time, how does the effort I put in speak about how seriously I'm taking the competition? I mean, imagine I show up next to Hannah Miley, this swimmer who's trained for her 42 hours a week, and I could only make two hours of training on Wednesday evening couldn't fit anything more in with my busy schedule well they're gonna they're gonna laugh me out of the pool and not just because i'm a lousy swimmer um you get the point that that's why paul's shouting at us we're, we're in a race but it's not even just one of these glorious earthly races it's a race with so much at stake so he wants us to look at him as an example of how to run he's working at it with all his might verse 27 talks about this i beat my body i make it my slave the, the, the original language is even stronger. He's, he's giving himself a black eye in pursuit of this prize. He's giving it loudly. So, the importance of self-discipline in this race, the other implication Paul draws out is, is just being clear on what we're doing, being clear about the goal. Look at verse 26. Paul gives us two pictures about how not to win in the games. The first one, he says... I do not run like a man running aimlessly or, or more exactly. I don't run like a man without a certain goal. You know, he's, he's looking at the finish line. He's thinking of the prize. He knows exactly where he is going. It's not when the gun goes off, he shoots off up into the stadium to get a burger. 
He actually knows where he's going. Or the next illustration, he says, I don't fight like a man beating the air. I mean, what sort of boxing match would that be? You know, you could go really fast and perhaps cool them down a bit with some fanning. But unless you actually make contact, unless you're actually going in the right direction, it's just no point. So pull those pictures over into our universe, okay? Are we clear on what we're doing, on, on where we're after, on where the finish line is? Are we clear on what our goal is, or are we just, are we just running aimlessly? Are we just got no particular destination in mind, sort of hoping that if we, if we show up and just amble along, we might win something? Do we know what it is that's needed? So let me bring this right back to where we began. It's a new year. It's a fine time for making resolutions. Now, a resolution doesn't change anything by itself at all. But there's a chance, there's a chance it spurs real change. And if you break it down, if you get practical, if you get specific, if you plan, then that's better. Here's what I want you to encourage you to do today. It's a little bit awkward and unusual, but I think the text wants us to respond practically and concretely. And I think now's as good a time as any. So I want to invite you to think about sharing a New Year's resolution with me. How about this? I resolve to run in such a way as to get the price to win more. How about that? I resolve to run in such a way as to get the prize to win more. Now, I want to help us make this concrete and practical to give us the best chance of seeing it happen. So let me share some specific ideas for practical next steps that go along with this kind of high aspiration what concrete things could we do that take us towards it? Well, perhaps some of them might fit for you. I, maybe you're right at the starting line, okay? And you could commit to praying that God would show you people he would like you to run for. Or maybe you can already make a list of three people that you'd like to run for. Maybe, maybe you could begin praying for specific opportunities to engage with these people. Or maybe you can commit to listening more carefully to some of the people already in your life. So you can get to know them better as a, a first step to, to going to them. Maybe, maybe you can get to pray for their needs as you get to know about them. Or, or maybe you could pick up an old hobby again. Maybe you can make connections with a new group of people and enter their world. Or, or maybe you can find a friend here at Charlotte who will go to an activity with you. So you can partner together in reaching out. Or, or maybe you can commit to paying more attention to the people you run into every day behind the till in the coffee shop, at the, at the school gates, or at the hairdresser, or on the bus. Or maybe you can start getting your lunch in the same place every day, so you can get to know the people there. Or maybe you could step out, take a risk in conversation at the office, and invite them to something. Or maybe you're ready to ask one of your friends to read the Bible with you, one-to-one. Or maybe you could practice telling the story of how you became a Christian, so the next time there's an opportunity, you're ready, and your words are clear. Or maybe, maybe you can just learn some great questions to ask people. Or maybe you have some old connections you'd like to look up again. Maybe, maybe you could spend less time with your Christian friends so you have more time to meet others. Or maybe there's a church activity you're going to give up to make more space in your life. Maybe, maybe there's a local sports project or, or social project you could get involved in to meet more people. Look, these are just some ideas. These are just some ideas. There are lots of different ways to run. The key is to do something. 
Something concrete, something practical, something specific, okay? I'm going to give you just one minute and encourage you to commit to something specific that you will do. And if you can write it down, write it down. Uh, if you're brave, share it with somebody after the service. But how could you this year set about seeking to win more? Just give us one minute now. Do you have something practical you could do? There's so many ways to run that race. Imagine with me for a moment that we all say yes to this today. That we listen to Paul and, and we say yes, not just a few of us, but, but all of us. Imagine that, okay? Imagine all of us committing to running in such a way as to, to get the price. Imagine, imagine all of us identifying a concrete, practical next step we can take and seeking to win more. Who knows what God might do with that? Who knows how many more might be won for all eternity through us this year? Who knows how many more might be sitting with us next year? Perhaps considering committing again to the same thing. Wouldn't it be a joy to see more new faces here? Wouldn't it be a greater joy ultimately to come before God's throne in heaven and to know that we will share that forever? with those new faces. So I want to encourage you to run this race and chase this precious crown. Be disciplined and use your freedom to win more for eternity. Let me pray for a moment.